welcome to the Portionality Podcast, a curiously sermonic podcast playground for adulting over 30. Because let's keep it real, life will keep lifing with swift transitions, but together we can honor the moments we are in and keep on living. I am your host, Portia Williams-Gates. Join me every Wednesday as we grow and live together. Welcome back to the Portionality Podcast. This episode is part one in a preaching series entitled Wade in the Water. It was originally preached in 2022 at the St. Paul Community Baptist Church in Brooklyn. But before we get into it, please make sure you are rating this podcast and sharing this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> and be sure to follow me on IG and spell at Portionality, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Now, without further ado, here's the sermon entitled Wade in the Water Children. I don't want to be before you long today. That's what every preacher says before we up here for a minute. (laughs) But if you don't mind, I want to take my time through the book of Exodus all month long. And so if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, where we'll be kicking off our sermon series, Wade in the Water. Check out Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. I'm going to be reading from the new internet, uh, the new revised standard version, excuse me. When you have it, say amen. Amen. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with tar and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she had compassion on him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. I drew him out of the water. I am going to tag this text this morning, wade in the water, children. Let us pray. Most gracious and eternal God, how we thank you. God, you are the one who troubles the water. God, we thank you for being with us all day, year, month, life long. So God, if you don't mind, have your way right now. God, I ask that you would give me preaching power. God, hide me behind your cross. God, these words before me mean absolutely nothing so you breathe on it. So God, breathe on them with that very same breath that you use to create all of creation. God, for all of those who are here in your assembly, we are listening for you, oh God. 
So God, do what it is that you do best, and that is to be God all by yourself. And we are so careful to give you glory, honor, and praise. Bless this time now in Jesus' name. We do pray. Amen, amen, and ashe. You may take your seats. Wade in the water, children. St. Paul, I am concerned today about the least, the lost, and the left out of our society. I think about how we emphasize the narratives of the popular, but forget about the people in the background. How we exalt the stories of some, but forget about the well-beings of others. For instance, I am concerned about Brittany Griner, the 31-year-old WNBA superstar who was just tried and sentenced to nine years in prison in Russia. On her way home, Brittany was detained over vapes that contained less than a point-tenth of an ounce of cannabis. But if Brittany were a straight white male and not a queer, black, gender, non-conforming woman, perhaps she would already be home. Or Breonna Taylor. It was months after her murder did we even learn about it. Brianna was killed in her home in the middle of the night, and here we are nearly two and a half years later, and finally an action has been taken to charge the four cops that were involved in her murder. But if Brianna was a white woman, would it have taken this long? And then I think about our children who are preparing to go back to school around the country and still our national government fails to keep them safe with passing adequate gun control laws. There is a teacher shortage due to unfair wages and to be honest, most parents are tapped out and exhausted. Our children, women of color, particularly black women and queer folks, regardless of economic status, are the most forgotten and overlooked. And so, St. Paul, given the circumstances of our world, I bring you this preaching series, and it is my prayer that God will have her way. I have tagged this series, Wade in the Water, as an ode and nod to the African-American spiritual Wade in the Water. Uh, back when I was a child, I saw the Alvin Ailey Dance Company perform. Uh, of course, the closing act was none other than the world-renowned Revelations, invoking the presence and spirit of our ancestors with the tune of the spirituals Ailey choreographed revelations when he was only 19 years old. You might be familiar with it. Uh, I've been buked and I've been scorned. Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Fix me, Jesus. I want to be ready. Sinner man, rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham and many more. But it was weighed in the water that gets me every single time. While the piece conveys a baptism sequence, the song is a reminder of how our ancestors in the Americas used this song as code language in the time of captivity. Wade in the water was a reminder for us to travel along the riverbanks and even get in the water. Dogs on your trail can't smell you in the water. In this age of social media, I am reminded by my dear friend, Minister, Candace Simpson that we need to rethink our communications and not air everything for public consumption. Some things are for the hush harbors or may I say <laughs> breakfast and Bible. If we're going to give out our codes in these digital streets it's possible that we could get caught but also people begin to follow our strategies and beat us to the punchline. A few weeks ago, I was talking to Pastor Brawley, and I was sharing with him that I finally understood what those conservative white supremacists have been doing. 
They have been in this operation off digital platforms and they're raising up their children in the same way. It makes me ask the question, what are we doing? The waters before us will require us to wade. Walking through the water is no easy task, but we must do it and we must teach our children to do the same. It is my hope that in this sermon series on water that we would allow ourselves to sit in the water long enough to ward off those who are tracking our scent and that we might begin to strategize for the road up ahead. It is my intention that this series on water, a natural element that we often take for granted and sometimes use with excess, would become a mirror for our souls and our society. It is my hope that we would gaze into the water with sober eyes and consider in which the ways that we need to sit with the water in contemplation and reflection. It is my hope that these texts from the books of Exodus would provide hope for the possibility of the promise of liberation. The Exodus story, y'all, y'all know it, is the telling of a specific group of people. Yet at the same time, the Exodus narrative has provided a backdrop for hope for social movements, for those who are considered lost, least, and left out from around the world. From the Haitian Revolution to Nat Turner's Rebellion, to the Underground Railroad, to the Civil Rights Movement, to Stonewall and Queer Liberation, to Black Lives Matter, we see it with our children and their cry for gun control with March for Our Lives, and to even now with a movement towards women's rights. There's no better time in history, family, than remind us of how powerful this story of a people who trusted in God in the midst of oppression and through the wilderness on their way to a promised land. There's no better time because many of our hearts are grieving. In our text on today as we turn our gaze into the water and wade towards a freedom that is liberating for all people, I want us to consider three questions for reflection as we consider three very important people. One, a woman who finds herself on the margins of Egypt. Two, her young daughter. And three, a woman of power and privilege, all of whom understood the assignment when it comes to radical care and compassion for a child on the water. The text opens up and tells us that there is a Levite woman who was pregnant and gave birth to a child. With this particular passage, it does not give her name, but she does indeed and in fact have a name. Her name is Jacobed. Jacobed is the mother of Miriam, Abram, Aaron, and the child we come to know as Moses. According to scholar Will Gaffney, one of my favorites in her seminal text, Womanist Midrash, states that while Jacobed is a Levite of heritage, she was born in Egyptian land and was a native to Egypt. Jacobed was not born in the famine as her ancestors and possibly her grandparents, but was born in Egypt. She did not immigrate like her parents, but was born in Egypt and grew up in an age where a ruler who knew not Joseph came into power. If you remember Joseph from the book of Genesis, you might recall that he was a good pharaoh. And so Jacobed was probably born in the time of abundance and surplus and then watched the world fall into decline. She knew that her days of flourishing, she understood when the world was flourishing. She knew when the times moved from times of flourishing to times of sufficiency. But then she saw the world move from a time of sufficiency into a time of enslavement. 
This witnessing of her world going from peace to turmoil and chaos made her an agent for resistance. I think it's safe to say that Jacobet was the original mother of the movement where the empire was out to kill her son and she did what needed to be done to protect him at all costs. In a world where cop killers aren't always brought to justice, it is important to note the hard work of mothers who refuse to give up on the safety of our children. You see, at this point in Exodus, there is a genocide happening in the land. Pharaoh has ordered that all male babies be put to death as he perceived the Hebrew population was growing too rapidly. In order to control the population and fear that it was his own, losing his race, he decided that he would erase the Hebrews if they began to outnumber him. He put out an executive order telling guards and appointed slave masters to stand by and put newborns to death by throwing them into the Nile. Every Hebrew girl was to live, and we can read between the lines and see that the girls had value because they were able to reproduce, especially if they could reproduce by force and create more children for the empire. And so Jacobet had made up in her mind that if her child were to be born male, that she would let him live, thus putting her life and the life of her entire family at risk of being put to death. My first question for us to consider on this morning, sometimes we have points, I come with questions. My first question for us to consider this morning is, what are we willing to risk to ensure the safety of our children? What are we willing to risk to ensure the safety of our children? When the child was born, Jacobet hid the child three months, which was illegal, as there had been a call to kill off all the baby boys. This was a mass genocide, and Jacobet refused to let her baby die. She already had two other children, Miriam and Aaron. Miriam is around six years old, and Aaron is around three years old. This was not Jacobet's first birth experience. And it, but it was her first in the midst of a genocide while birthing at all was an act of resistance. This child was the child she risked it all for. She risked it all by birthing him and then hiding him for three whole months until she could not hide him any longer. And y'all know the first three months of a child's life can be a challenge. Imagine, uh, I imagine, that the first three months it must have been really hard for her trying to keep the baby concealed because if anybody knows about baby, the first few weeks after birth are the most challenging. Babies tend to be kind Colicky, colicky, and they need to feed every few hours, every two hours in some instances, all around the clock. Babies have a sleep schedule that's all over the place as they're learning the difference between day and night. And let's not forget that Jacobet is also three months postpartum herself, relearning her body, going through mood swings, hair loss, skin changes, changes in metabolism, readjusting to some sort of social life. So not only was it a challenge for her to keep the child quiet, it was also a challenge for her in her postpartum situation. What are we willing to risk for our children, family? Are we willing to risk our comforts to make sure that they are safe? Are there any parents or grandparents who can say that you risk everything to make sure your child had what they needed? I know, do anybody here know about making sacrifices here? You sacrifice some jobs. You sacrifice some dreams. You sacrifice your education. You sacrifice your social life. You sacrifice some relationships. You sacrifice your reputation all for the sake of the life of the child.
But then there are some who haven't even considered taking a risk for a child because they too comfortable. We see it down in Washington when people vote people into power to protect guns over children and those elected officials refuse to risk their constituency for the sake of what's right. Some people want to be popular rather than risking it all for our children. And so three months have gone by and Jacobet can no longer keep this child's hidden. At this point, he's probably learning how to wiggle. He's probably learning how to coo and get some sense of his motor skills. And so Jacobed creates a papyrus wicker basket and waterproofs it with tar and pitch. This basket translated into Hebrew is the exact same meaning as Noah's Ark, y'all. So Jacobed is literally trying to preserve life, preserve history, and preserve a people by securing the safety of her son. She made a waterproof vessel to keep him and created a lid to cover him. And that's what we need today. We need some more vessels. Are we keeping our children covered and are we keeping our children protected? We need more vessels. And so my second question for consideration this morning as we reflect is what vessel is carrying and keeping and covering our children? What is the vessel that is carrying them? Is it school? Is it social media? Is it community programming? Is it their families? Well, I have a suggestion. I would also like to consider that the church is a vessel for keeping our children, covering our children, protecting our children because we have the capacity to carry them. However, I wonder, is it waterproof? I believe we have the capacity to be the vessel that carries our children, but I wonder, is it waterproof? You see, Jacobed made sure that the vessel was waterproof. Church, I want to know today, can we stand the rain when it comes to our children? Can we stand the tides of the ocean and the rocks of the river? I think it's time that we rebuild and refortify the vessel of the local church because, quite frankly, there's a few holes in the vessel. Ah, what holes are in the vessel, Pastor Williams Gates? What holes are you talking about? Ooh, child, I'm so glad you asked, Pastor Brawley. Come on in here. Holes of inconsistency that show up in the form of a suggestion. Suggestions are the holes that keep poking into the vessel and very few want to take time to fill up the hole with the solution. You see, <laughs> I will, Pastor Broly. Pastor Broly told me to say it again, so I will. The holes of inconsistency that show up in the form of a suggestion. Suggestions are the holes that keep poking into the vessel and very few want to take time to fill up that hole with the solution. You see, my entire career has predominantly involved youth and young adults in some direct capacity, y'all. Whether it was with the Children's Defense Fund's Freedom School to summer camp or that one time I was a teacher in a charter school in Brooklyn when I, <laughs> I really don't talk about that much, or that one time where I served as a youth pastor or that one time that I served as a youth organizer for education, in addition, I served full-time as a youth pastor, and most of y'all know this. I was a youth pastor for a few years in New Jersey with the help of a faithful few and a budget. I said I was able to build a youth ministry with a faithful few and a budget. <laughs> 
I was able to rebuild a youth ministry in community with over 100, 100 kids, countless volunteers, and a core team of 15 people. We did incredible things. And every now and then, we are met with resistance and opinions. And you know where it came from? It wasn't the parents. It wasn't from the youth themselves. It was from members and leaders who had opinions with no plans and no solutions. And I mean, every time I turned around, there was a suggestion. But here's the thing. You can't build a youth ministry on suggestions. Granted, working as a youth pastor in a pandemic is no easy task. So I want to give a shout out to every youth pastor who may be out there in virtual land because it is not easy pastoring in a pandemic. So let's be very clear. But if you want to rebuild youth ministry, if you want the church to continue to be the vessel that is waterproof for the youth, it's going to take more than just a few opinions and no action. And I realized that the majority of the people talking about the youth are the ones who don't want to show up to the show when it comes time to roll up them sleeves. Youth ministry is getting in the trenches. And let's keep it real. Everybody ain't built to work with kids. And the kids know that better than some of the adults. Trust me when I tell you, kids can discern when an adult has a jacked up spirit real quick. They may not always have the language, but they most certainly will let you know and uninvite you to the show, okay? Now, church, we have a responsibility, both individually and collectively, to build a waterproof vessel. Kids want opportunities to express themselves, and it's hard for them to do that when we're too busy projecting on them what we want them to have. And here's the thing. If we want to continue to grow the local church, both locally and nationally, we've got to put a priority on our children. The church has to be the vessel that is caring and covering them because they are facing a lot. And what they don't need is any more suggestions but a plan. And so my third question on today, y'all, is so what's the plan? <laughs> That's my question for consideration. What's the plan? Jacobed had a plan. What was her plan? Her plan was to hide a child for three months while she came up with another plan to figure out what she was going to do with him when she could no longer care for him. She strategically placed the baby in a basket, waterproofed by the edge of the Nile, because that's where the Egyptian women went to bathe. Egyptians worshipped the Nile, y'all. Therefore, placing the child in a place where they knew that he could be noticed on the edges of the Nile was the current, where the current was not so rough for him to be overtaken. Miriam was also the child of a resistance following in the ways of her mother. Miriam also had a plan. Her plan was to keep watch over her brother. She positioned herself to see about his safety as he was placed in the Nile. Note, I said the Nile, the same with the Nile, right? Which is the same river where all the babies were being disposed in. Aha, uh -huh. see, the same river where all of the other Hebrew boys were being discarded was also the same, the same river that was carrying the vessel with Moses in it. In a place of death, hope still could float, y'all. In a place of death. Hope can still float when there is a strategy and a vessel at work on the Nile. Miriam positioned herself long enough and far enough that she couldn't 
even where she could not be seen, but she could see him. She saw an opportunity for the child to be cared for by the daughter of Pharaoh. She discerned the situation and noticed how Pharaoh's daughter was taken by him. Pharaoh's daughter knows that he is Hebrew when she looks at him, but yet she wants him anyway. And so Miriam enacts her plan. I want to remind us this morning that when we are in positions and opportunities and spots of opportunities, that we must enact on those opportunities. So many of us miss opportunities because we are not positioned. This opportunity was not for her as much as it was about her brother's safety. Showing up was half the battle because surely she was not willing to let her brother die. We need siblings who don't mind showing up and getting ready to be in position on their post to be present when opportunities arise. So when Miriam sees Pharaoh's daughter admiring him, so she decides to make an offer. And the offer is to get a Hebrew woman, and not just any Hebrew woman. Miriam decides to go get her mother, the, the child's mother, and decides to have her come to nurse her, to nurse him. And so Pharaoh's daughter accepts this plan. Why does this even matter? It matters because even after the child is delivered and, and, and delivered to her, she delivers the child back into the hands of his mother to be cared for a little while longer. At the best part is that Pharaoh's daughter is paying her to give her wages to care and nurse for the child. And so I also want to note the custom of giving people wages for their work. And that is important because sometimes people want you to work for free. And it should never be assumed that anyone should do any kind of labor for free. So pay women what they're worth. And honey, work the energy of exchange. Okay? It is beautiful that we have... This woman, Pharaoh's daughter, giving an exchange of the energy. She says, I will pay you your wages. It is beautiful in this story because not only is the baby's life spared with compassion from Pharaoh's daughter, but he is also connected to the one who gave birth to him. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that no matter how far down the river and the ocean we have come, whether we have come to the North Americas or to the Caribbean, whether we have gone down to South America, that we are still connected to the heartbeat of our mother continent. Our Africans' retention show up in every turn from the way we clap our hands to the way we stomp our feet to the way we sing to the way we twerk if it feels like we want to. Every part of us is still connected to our mother continent. Pharaoh's daughter is swooned by the baby and it is important to note that not that even though she is an Egyptian woman who was born into the empire she uses her agency as an important part of the exodus narrative she does not want her father to know necessarily but she does what he's not able to do because of his greed. You see, she sees a child in need and she does not allow her heritage and his heritage to keep him from receiving what he needs. You see, I wish there was more people who could look into our children's faces and see them as human beings and see their humanity and still give them what they need to have compassion, to have an opportunity to say this child is innocent. She sees his humanity at three months old and claims him as her own. What would it look like for us to see the humanity of our children and just meet their needs simply because they're alive? 
Oftentimes we argue about what our children's needs and folks want to complain about what's happening and what's not happening with you. But how many of us are actually looking them in the face and affirming their humanity regardless of whose child they are or what race they are or what school district they come from? Our children are humans too and they too need compassion and for someone to see them. The daughter of Pharaoh named Moses, which means drawn from the water. We are a people that was formed on the water, and yet we are fighting every day for people to see our humanity. And we don't want to miss this opportunity just because someone comes from the empire and a system that they were born into. And while they may have some empire conditioning, they are not beyond having the capacity for compassion. If we're honest, there are some folks who truly mean well and we miss opportunities for collaboration when we assume that everyone who was born as an offspring of the oppressor is just like the generation before them. No, the sons and daughters of the empire will never understand what it's like to be oppressed and no, they will never understand what it's like to go through life like us. But that doesn't mean that there ain't somebody that God has touched to move into compassion. That doesn't mean that God hasn't touched somebody's heart. And I don't know about you, but every now and then, having a partner on the other side can be mutually beneficial if you know how to work the system. And Miriam figures out a way to work the system where everybody's needs are met, including her own. Leverage the opportunities. And as I come to a close, when if we consider our children, I want us to consider the questions. What are we willing to risk for the, for the safety of our children? What is the vessel that we need to get them to safety? And what is the plan that we need to keep them safe? At the end of the day, it is our responsibility to create a space for our children, and it is our responsibility to affirm them in their humanity. We are the church. We are a staple in the community, and sometimes we need a reminder that this is their church too. I'm speaking both locally and broadly because here's the thing. Somebody out here is trying to take us out. Somebody said, take a look at them and look at them growing up and doing the thing. Look at them out here growing and building in abundance. Look at them out here growing and building in abundance and succeeding. Look at them out here growing and achieving. Look at them out here. Oh, yes. Oh, somebody is saying, y'all, oh, they're going to outnumber us. And we know that. Whiteness is going to protect whiteness. And if we aren't paying attention, they will further figure out a way to take us out and oppress us by way of our children and our men. But there is hope, y'all. There is hope. Because hope, that's right, Pastor Raleigh, hope is on the water because hope knows how to float. When we Christians, we, the church, decide to step up and become the church that Jesus has already imagined for us, there's no telling what we can do. There is so much hope for us. That child who was placed on the water will grow up and will become a leader who will deliver his people. And his mother risked everything she had full of hope that God will step in and give him a full life. Thusly, Jacobet becomes the mother and the mother of liberation and the mother of a movement because she had a vision and that there was something more for her son on the other side of the current condition. 
And so we must do likewise, church. We must continue to be the mothers and fathers of the movement, building vessels, waterproofing it, and not poking holes in it. That way our children can have the opportunity to flow into something that we can't even yet dream of, but it's in the imagination of God. What could they be if we simply allowed ourselves to be that for them? So wade in the water, children, knowing that hope is available, knowing that hope and the prayers of your ancestors are carrying you. Wade in the water, children, knowing that it's not the end. Wade in the water, children, knowing that somebody and something is going to carry you, even in the midst of what looks like death. Wade in the water, children, even as it looks like it's impossible. If it could be done before, what could God do again? Amen. Amen.